1: Review and joining me as usual is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing tonight?
2: I'm doing good, especially good. I haven't left my house all day, and it's apparently very hot outside. So um, I, I think I'm winning.
1: <laughs> it's uh, I'm ready for that fall weather, you know, with the season. I guess maybe it's still baseball season. We got to feel like it's 100 degrees out, but I am uh, ready for uh, the end of the royal season and <laughs> the start of some fall uh, weather. Uh, also joining us uh, is in a little more temperate weather is Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how are you doing tonight?
0: Uh, you know, I'm just enjoying the fair weather of uh, North Carolina.
1: <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, we, we should, we should do, make a defense for fair weather uh, because uh, fair weather, everyone likes fair weather, right? We don't like extreme weather. Uh, and Matthew, I think you were the one that wrote about uh, how fair weather fans are actually the most rational. Isn't that right?
2: yeah, I've written about this a couple times. I've tweeted about it. it's It's one of my apparently more controversial takes, um, which is weird for me. Basically, uh, Fairweather fans, like bandwagon fans, they're great. They're I, they're the only sane ones, right? They show up when the team is winning. They're looking for a great entertainment product. Um, and when it's not there, they leave. Like why why on earth are we criticizing them for doing what sane people do? I mean, here we are. And we're, you know, recording a podcast and we spend a lot of our time (laughs) writing about the team that's going to lose 100 games. Like, Fairweather fans are doing it right. You
1: make us sound like we're the suckers.
2: (laughs) We're sticking with the team
1: through 100 losses, yeah. Uh, We're we're kind of alluding to some comments made by uh, former beat writer Jeffrey Flanagan on Twitter, which are now deleted. But uh, we can talk more about that in a minute. But kind of what what started that uh, was a a piece in The Athletic, which if you're not – if you haven't read it yet, I urge you to stop the podcast – and, uh, and read that uh, before you, you continue, because it is an excellent piece written by Alec Lewis, uh, Rustin Dodd, and Andy McCullough, uh, all three former beat writers of the Royals at The Athletic. But in the piece, um, it talks a lot about why the Royals have struggled to develop starting pitching for so long. A lot of that, you know, some of the stuff we knew, but uh, there's a lot of really good detail um, from uh, people that were rivals, former players, uh, and a little more detail on what the Royals uh, do and what they have done that have kind of stymied their efforts. Um, you know, some of the, I, you know, I wrote a little bit summary of, of the, of the piece where I kind of categorize the issues into three buckets. Number one, it seemed like the, the team was really rigid in their approach, um, kind of one size fits all approach. Uh, you know, one former player talked about how it didn't really lend itself to the individual. Um, and, uh, I think a, a second point is that they there didn't seem to be a lot of empowerment of players. Like they they collect data, but doesn't they don't necessarily share it with the players. Um, they they don't. <laughs> there was one anecdote where they don't they didn't allow a player to watch video without a coach present. Um, so there wasn't. Uh, it didn't seem like there was a lot of like you know you know it's great you collect the data, but are you using it for the for the players? If the players are, are able to help themselves. And then finally, it seemed like the, the 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 Royals are really just behind the times. I mean, um, they they have some of the some of the same you know machinery that other teams now have, which really any college or high school team has, and some of these some of these things. Um, but they're still kind of behind the curve. They're not uh, necessarily integrating data into their decision making. Um, there's one anecdote how they they still use the, what's called the towel drill to get extension, which uh, you know and maybe that is helpful, but at least one of the players kind of questioned the use of use of that. So, you know, Matthew, let me get your reactions first. Uh, and we can talk more about you know Dayton Moore's reactions in a minute here, but let's stick into just 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 the athletic piece. Uh, what was kind of your reaction to that piece and and what did you kind of make of some of the details that we read in in that that excellent work, I think by the the three writers?
2: yeah, you're right. it was it was really good work. um that was that was really sort of the first thing that i that I read about it is that uh, I thought after reading it, like it's very thorough. It does a very good job of explaining. Um, what they found um, the issues in the pitching development to be. Um, it's very thorough and it does a, it does a really good job of giving context. Um, doesn't come right out and say, you know, this thing is awful. The Royals, terrible. you know, it gives, it gives context to um, the Royals pitching development. Um, and it talks about how difficult it is to develop starting pitching. And it even gives the Royals a little bit of credit for developing Brady Singer into the pitchers that he has been this year. So it it was critical yeah but i don't think it was overly critical based off of the results that we've seen on the field i thought it was a really excellent piece i think that's that's first and foremost and the second thing is just kind of like we've known some of this stuff before um you know we have known that the royals have been rigid in their processes for a long time we have known that they have struggled to develop pitchers um, I think, it, uh, Dylan Bundy, who was pitching as, as we speak, I think he was one of the guys who said, I, you know, I don't want to pitch for the Royals. I don't want to be drafted by the Royals, uh, because of how they, you know, developed pitchers at the time. Um, you know, there are, there are a lot of, um, a lot of things in it that were not surprising to me, really. Um, and I think that is one of the, you know, one of the indictments on the program is that everyone kind of knows the issues, or at least people who are not in the organization know what the issues are. Um, you know, that's that's one of the things that I think sticks out the most is that it's not just you know former players who are you know ragging on the Royals, other scouts, other executives. Um, other analysts are saying, "Hey, the Royals have this good talent. They're just not doing a good job of that." Um, and there's no real benefit to them saying that. You know, it's it's they don't, they don't get any you know real brownie points, or they they don't get a raise for giving their their thoughts or for needlessly uh, dunking on the Royals. I think that's um, that's part of what makes it more damning is that a lot of other people know what's wrong, and we kind of know what's wrong um, in general, and the Royals haven't addressed that.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's good to get a rep for being bad at pitcher development. And it sounds like it's kind of an open secret at this point. And, you know, look, I'd give them the benefit of the doubt if if they had a better track record. But I think this all kind of stemmed from the fact the Royals have, have, been, uh, have not developed starting pitching for a long time now. This isn't just a new phenomenon. This is something that they've struggled with for 16 years. You know, really only Danny Duffy and, and maybe Jordana Ventura to show for it. Um and 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 they 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 kind of went all in in 2018 in that draft and yeah we've got Brady Singer but um you know I think we were kind of expecting a little bit more and maybe we will I mean it's still early I'm not closing the book certainly on Daniel Lynch um I still have some hope and for him but uh, certainly the early returns haven't been good Jeremy what was kind of your reaction to the to the article I, I know that you've kind of been hammering some of the same points uh, over time
0: uh, what, what did you think of the piece? So uh, as far uh, as like Matthew said, there's there's not necessarily a lot that's new there. There's more detail to it. But um, there were three things that kind of stood out to me. Um, And you mentioned this earlier, Max, the the focus on the fastball control in the minor leagues. Uh, And the article points out at a time when fastball usage is at its kind of nadir uh, in in the big leagues, people are throwing fewer fastballs than ever. Um, which kind of makes sense because, you know, throughout history, we've known of hitters who are fastball hitters. Uh, you know, there's there bunches of guys who can only hit fastballs, but I, I don't know about you, but I can't name one guy off the top of my head who could only hit curveballs. Um, and so it makes sense to me that maybe you don't want to throw fastballs. You'd rather throw your curveball. Um, and then the second thing that stood out to me uh, was, uh, you know, the J.J. Piccolo talking about his time in Atlanta Talking about the the common thought there was that you need 10 pitching prospects to get one starting pitcher, which uh, the Royals, first of all, have not met even that metric. Um, they maybe have, you know, with the 2018 draft and that Brady Singer has turned out pretty good. But at the same time, uh, they – it wasn't just – you know, fans, uh, or scouts that were like, Oh, you know, these guys could be good. The Royals were like, you know what? Uh, we've got four or five guys that we really believe in, in this draft that we think are all going to be good. And we're really counting on them all to be good. Um, and then the third thing, which I wrote about over the weekend, um, so I don't want to belabor it too much was the quote towards the end of the article where, uh, JJ Piccolo says at some point, they've got to turn the corner. And, um, like I said, I don't want to belabor that too much, but I just think it highlights, kind of a lack of accountability for the team um, in their thought processes around the prospects in that 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 phrase, that sentence is very focused on, well, they're going to have to do it. They got to do it. They got to do it. I, there's there's no me there's no us there's just they're they're gonna have to do it if it's ever gonna happen and you know the Royals are supposed to be re- uh, responsible for developing these guys they're, they're the ones with the history with the experience with the knowledge with the the devices um, and they should be helping these guys turn these corners and and when you say well at some point they've got to turn the corner that sounds to me like you're not uh you, you're not being accountable you're not being responsible for for what happens next and that bothers me
1: yeah i mean I, to a certain extent it does fall on the player right like i, I don't expect the royals to be able to turn everyone into a, a stud starting pitching you know uh, some of that does fall on the, on the player to execute but <laughs> when you have the track record like they do obviously there's something a little more systemic going on And to kind of hear that, you know, and, you know, he had some comments uh, was the last week about Chris Bubic and Daniel Lynch kind of, they they need to be the ones to step up. That's, I do sense a little frustration with, with management about these pitchers and, you know, what we got from this piece from the athletic too, is, is maybe that's a little, little, uh, a little bit of a two-way street where some of the pitchers, uh, you know, I don't think sound real thrilled with the way they were maybe, maybe developed here. Uh, You know, one guy talks about how it doesn't, you know, this doesn't lend itself the system doesn't lend itself to the individual. Uh, and the other thing I kind of got from it too is that um, it, it sounds like an organization that's kind of grasping at straws as far as like they don't seem to understand what it why it's not working. Uh, and I think Lesky, David Lesky has written about this a few times using the analogy of like, you know, they've got this system that's broken and they've taken away a few pieces that didn't work. They've tried to bolt a, a few new shiny pieces on, you know, like data and analytics. But really, the whole thing needs a whole a complete overhaul. You just need to totally rebuild the pitching development side, kind of like what they tried to do with the hitting side. Uh, it's kind of interesting they did that on the hitting side with Alex Zumwalt. Um, and we've seen that, I guess in the minors a little bit with Paul Gibson, but but certainly not a. It certainly seems like a lot of the lingering issues are still there, um, you know. And then con- con- compare that to like that article where Jacob Junis talked about going to the Giants, and they sat him down and said, "Hey, look, we got a plan for you." We're going to have you throw your slider more. We're going to work on you to develop a cutter and you're going to be a great pitcher. And you know, he he was a little skeptical and look, he's not he's you know, he's he had some good success early and he's had some struggles early since then, but I think he's been a more valuable pitcher this year than he ever has, ever was with the Royals. But the point is, you know, they've done that with a lot of other pitchers, you know, Anthony Descalfani last year. Uh, uh you know, uh, the, the different pitchers that they've just brought in off the, off the scrap heap and turned him into really solid pitchers. Uh, the the Astros I think are pretty notorious for that. They 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 identify guys throughout the league. They can get for pretty cheap, and sit them down and say, Hey, look, we've been watching you for a while. We think you got great spin rate. We're we're going to have you throw your slider 80% of the time, and you're going to be a great pitcher. And that's what they do, and they execute. So you know the Royals don't seem to have that kind of plan. They certainly don't seem to have those kind of results. And it just kind of sounds like a team that's still kind of grasping at straws. Uh, Matthew, you know, there there was a little bit of talk about how the Royals use data. Um, You know, there was one minor league pitcher that talked about, um, you know, he liked his pitching coach a lot. He thought his pitching coach knew a lot about pitching, but he wasn't able to really interpret the data in a way that made sense. Um, It seems like the Royals have made a, a lot of, you know, hey about hiring Daniel Mack and some of his analytics guys. We've seen them maybe slowly start to integrate some of that in their, their decision-making with, like, you know, focusing on base skills a little bit now. But um, it still seems
2: like the Royals have a long way to go, don't you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think that um, the Royals just – you can't just decide to use all of the tools that are available to you and not change how your philosophy um, you know, intersects with those tools. I think a lot of the information out there, and if if you go to like Kyle Boddy, who's the, the founder of Driveline, his Twitter account, he talks about like all the time about how it's not just about the tools, it's about the method with which you teach um, pitching. It's about the method that you teach people, uh, your pitchers and your organizations um, to, to do things. And also it's how, uh, you know, there's a lot of literature out there, some stuff in the MVP machine, which is a really great book um, about, you know, creating, um, you know, the star players. And it's about player development. You know, a lot of it has to do with coaches who buy into it. Um, you can't so you can't just decide, OK, cool, we've got all analytics. We're going to put some numbers on stuff. And we're going to use the tools, um, the advanced tools. You've got to be able to synthesize all of that and communicate that to players in a cohesive manner, top to bottom throughout the organization. And I think the Royals just don't really do that based off of this uh, article, based off of, you know, other one off feedback that other people such as Kyle body uh, have have, you know, put out there the Royals just aren't very good at the synthesis part about that and the teaching part about that. And that's really what's important.
1: Yeah. And I think this, this, this piece kind of is a, it's really a continuation of some of the articles we read from uh, Alec Lewis, who departed as Royals beat writer from the athletic. Uh, But it seemed like he'd been, he'd been written, he'd written a lot about the kind of the pitching development And, and a lot of it was kind of, praiseworthy I think uh saying you know that look this is some of the advances they've made they have made some changes under Paul Gibson they have taken some steps forward and look Brady Singer is is a really solid pitcher now we'll see if he continues that but um you know he may very well be the best starting pitcher they've developed under Dayton Moore um but it it, it seems like it's not been enough and it sounds like the way this piece came together is you know at least the way I read it is you know Alex has been writing a lot about the the stuff uh he he had a really interesting piece about two years ago uh, where Jacob Junis was working with his brother Noah, who is not a pitching guru, but um, is kind of a, he was interested in Kyle Boddy's methods a little bit and they kind of worked together on, on developing pitches. And interestingly, this article mentions how the Royals are kind of against that. They don't like you working outside the organization. They think uh, you lose your, I quote, I think JJ Cole was quoted saying you lose your identity a little bit, uh, which made me think, okay, Jacob Junis is probably the source for a lot of this stuff. Like, you know, there's a disgruntled, not necessarily disgruntled, but, you know, a, a former pitcher who has um, some some critical comments about the way he was handled in the organization. I don't think Jacob Jonas has been super quiet about that fact that he wasn't super happy in Kansas City. Um, and I know, you know, we know that Alec Lewis did write about him, so he's, he's, he's used him as a source before. So, you know, I don't know anything about just reading between the lines. My guess is that Junas is kind of at least one of the the, the sources, uh, you know, and, and maybe there's, there, there's certainly – Very well likely others that that can um, also talk about their experience. And then, you know, Lewis probably talked to Rustin Dodd and Andy McCulloch about some of the stories they had heard when they covered the Royals. Because there are there are a lot of stories out there about, you know, for a long time they banned long toss uh, that made uh, some some guys wary to come here. Uh, You know, the the methods they adopted under Bill Fisher, who was a longtime scout with the Braves, that they more brought over to Kansas city. um, You know, he was kind of known for being a little old school and had had some old absolutes that uh, were not necessarily modern techniques for pitching. So, you know, I could see that, you know, I, you know, when you have, I think any organization is going to have some critics, like some guys are just not happy with the way they were handled in the organization. But the fact that the Royals have the track record, they, they have, I think makes you kind of stand up a little bit and say, okay, well maybe there, maybe there's something to this. Uh, but if there's one person that maybe didn't seem to see much to it, it was Dayton Moore. Uh, he made some comments publicly afterwards uh, on the Royals pregame show this weekend where uh, he said, you know, they're open to criticism. But <laughs> uh, he felt that anything that uh, that was written anonymously like that respects is disrespectful and lacks integrity uh, and didn't seem to really be a fan of what was written in there. He thought a lot of it was outdated, which. I think the article did say some of the things were no longer being used. Some of the things that were, you know, mocked were no longer being used. Uh, but uh, Dayton Moore seemed to be—he put a, a, a positive spin on things. Thinks they're in a really good position going forward. And Matthew, you wrote about this a little bit. Uh, it, you know, it—it—it—it it, it, it seems like it—it's—he's uh, not in the same place a lot of Royals fans are. What would how do you respond to Dayton Moore's comments?
2: Um, well, one thing I would not respond to Dayton Moore's comments is anonymously. Um, so <laughs> this is uh, Matthew Lamar um, responding to Dayton Moore here. Um, I am. I, there's a lot to say about Dayton Moore's comments. I'm going to keep it to really two sort of two main points. The first thing is that um, it's really undeniable that the Royals have been have been really bad at this. I pointed out over the last seven seasons, the Royals have the third worst ERA in baseball. The third worst FIP in baseball, and this is Royal Starters, excuse me. So the Royal Starters have had the third worst ERA in baseball, the third worst FIP in baseball, and the third worst strikeout rate minus walk rate. So just looking at, like, pure stuff um, in baseball. Third worst, um, over a seven-season stretch, okay? So this is not, like, a new development, Um the Royals have been really bad um, at developing starting pitching, even when they have had um, some good talent, like in the 2018 draft class, right? So they've had some good talent, you know, they've been bad at it. And that doesn't happen for a reason, or that, that doesn't happen without a reason, right? They're they're bad for a reason. It's not like they're just magically bad every year. Um, and so that's, that's one thing that I think... That, it's important to keep in mind is that this isn't a hit job. It's not saying like saying the Royals are terrible and they're not terrible. You know, it's trying to address the question of why are the Royals bad at developing pitching because they have been bad at developing starting pitching and pitching in general. This is not really that difficult to understand or think about, but it's, but it's important. Um, And the other thing is that Dayton Moore's comments just seemed really kind of really unprofessional, he he blamed uh, reporters, you know, he basically said the reporters, hey, you guys are liars. <laughs> I mean, these are three <laughs> people that he knows personally and who have covered his team before, which is really a bad look. Um, and he blames people for, you know, reporting anonymously, which is just that's what happens all the time, you know, otherwise no reporter would ever be able to talk to basically anybody um, about another team, you know, and I'm sure You know, if I would put down a significant amount of money that Dayton Moore has been one of the anonymous people reported in some sort of, uh, you know, uh, some sort of piece, right? Some American League executive. He's probably been reported anonymously somewhere. Um, He knows that that's the game. And then he then he says that. Um, But really, ultimately, you know, he says, you know, we're not disappointed. We're excited about where we are. And I, this sort of relentless positivity uh, has sort of shifted into like a form of gaslighting, like trying to convince fans that the Royals are doing well and they're going to do well, um, and all of this is part of the plan. When you can look at the record and you can look at what they said about the team coming into this year and – you can look at the the words of John Sherman who said the status quo is not acceptable earlier this year. He said the status quo is not acceptable. And here we have Dayton Moore saying after an article that, that tried to objectively address and explain what was going on with the Royals. Dayton Moore is just saying, you know, we're excited. We're happy with where we are. And I just, you know, my first thought of that was related to Royals owner, John Sherman, who, like I said, he said that it's, the status quo is not acceptable when they were on a hundred loss pace. And, and you you say that. And then the guy who is in charge of your team says, we're happy for being this bad. It's just, it's just really infuriating. And it, it, it's like denial really. And it, it kind of pushed me over the edge into thinking, okay, you know, maybe Dayton Moore and JJ Piccolo could have been able to address the problem within their organization and, and, you know, maybe overhaul it, even if they weren't removed. But I don't think that's the case anymore. I think that, you know, these kind of comments suggest that Dayton Moore at least thinks that everything that the Royals are doing is good. And I don't think there's any amount of evidence that could convince him otherwise.
0: I'm, the, there's two things that kind of stood out to me. And they both are, are he's he's focused on the wrong things. Um, and it's the beginning where he he's goes after you know anonymous sources and, and accuses people of of spreading falsehoods and being disrespectful and basically just kind of challenging whether the article uh has a right to exist um, <laughs> and, and that's just that's not a that's not a position as Matthew kind of said there that's not a position he should be in um, and and it's kind of a, an argument that you make when you know like. I can't argue the facts of the article. So I will just say that the article shouldn't exist. That's all you can argue at that point. Um, and then the, the bit at the end um, where, yeah, he, as Matthew kind of said, he, he's, he's happy about where they are. And I think he specifically uh, said at one point, you know, um, I don't think anybody thinks that this is the peak uh, that these pitchers can or will obtain. And, and to that, I say, no, no one does think like I, I'm pretty sure most people think that uh, that the Daniel Lynch, Jackson Kowar, Chris Bubich can all be better than this. They're just not convinced the Royals can make it happen. <laughs> and and I just feel like there's there's a supreme uh, unwillingness to either see reality or or, uh, you know, he's just he just is kind of been backed into a corner and, and doesn't know how to get out of it. Without doing something he doesn't want to do, I don't know. I don't understand why he doesn't look at that and go, you know what? Uh, we're trying to do better, and we're we're doing better than some of those things. Uh, that was that's that's I think what he should have done is be like, yeah, some of that stuff was happening, and you know we've we've moved on from that, and we're going to continue to try and improve our processes. And instead, he just jumps all over the place to talk about how good everything is and how that article shouldn't have been written, and this is just it's not a good look uh in any in any sense of the the word
1: yeah i th- i think he kind of like mistook it as like that's all their stuff all the stuff in there they're doing now and that's why they're and their pictures are going to be terrible in the future and i don't i don't think that was the focus of the piece the focus of the piece is to say hey they've been bad at this for 16 years and here's part of the reason why and it goes all the way back to 2000, you know starting to the first day one and you know some of the stuff yeah they they don't do that anymore that's which is good but it's kind of crazy it took them that long to, to figure that out and instead he says well that's all it's just not factual and i'm sure yeah it's not factual to say that still happens now but that's not exactly what the piece is saying and you're right the piece never said oh these pictures will never pan out or they, they peaked like they're, they're, they still could i don't think the piece ever says anything about that it just says like hey you you guys have struggled developing starting pitching wonder why uh so you know and to point out that it's not factual without like getting into why it's not factual i think it's kind of kind of damning like like okay tell us what what tell us give us the scoop Mr. Moore uh tell us what's what's right and what's wrong because I I'd like to hear I'd like to know things that they're not doing anymore and things that they are doing and and, and I think that would give me a little more confidence uh about their pitcher development program now uh, but you know the proof's in the pudding like you know you guys have said they're they they have not developed starting pitching the guys they have now one is they have one guy you can feel confident about and then you look in the minors it's even worse. I mean, it's like a- Aza Lacy's taken a huge step back. I mean, he's bordering on, you know, you can already say he's a bust at this point. I mean, he's still kind of young, but to have a, rec- a year like he did this year is just disastrous. And a lot of the other guys that, you know, even I like, Alec Marsh and Anthony Veneziano, I mean, they, they've they taken huge steps back. Uh, so it's there's a lot of discouraging uh, points in the pitching development program in the minors as well. And so to have that kind of track record... And to go out and have a, a piece like this, which you know gave credit for Brady Singer, which you know said, "Hey, Cal Eldred kind of helped fix Brady Singer. Good, that's good." You know, I think it. I don't think it was a hit job by any stretch, or wasn't. You know, wasn't just throwing throwing bombs or anything. It was. It was a pretty fair piece, I thought. And to to say, "Oh, we accept criticism, but here's all the reasons why this is a, a pack of lies." I mean, yeah. Like Jeremy, you said it the best. I mean, that's that was. The thing to say is, you know, like, you know, we, we're always looking to do better. We we feel confident with the, with you know, We made some changes. We, we feel confident about our system going forward. We like the progress Brady Singer's made. We we, we expect the other guys to kind of to, to make that leap next year. But instead, it just it really speaks of someone that's pretty defensive. And, you know, I did think it was kind of interesting. Uh, David Lusky wrote in his newsletter over at inside the crown that, uh, you know, he, he thinks Dayton Moore is going to be gone at the end of the year, which I, I'm surprised how – confident he is and i know and I, he's not like an embedded reporter in like that but I, I know he hears things um and uh you know he thinks that there is going to be some house cleaning that and you know, it's and it's been a rough year for dayton Moore, not just in the standings but they had that that kind of dust up with the covid you know, the vaccinations uh before the toronto thing um uh, you know they they it's, it's it's been a challenging year and i think a lot of respects for the royals um so i you know Matthew, let's we'll start with you. Is, is this is this a general manager that kind of feels
2: like his job is on the line right now? Oh, I'm I'm sure, and he probably thinks that his job shouldn't be on the line because look at all that I've accomplished in my time here, and these people, um, you know, aren't aren't taking me seriously. What's really interesting about this to me, um, old timers will will sort of know this is that this is not the first time that Dayton Moore has sounded like this, and by so- like this, I mean. A little bit arrogance, a little bit, um, you know, treating the fans like they don't know what he knows, um, you know, a, a little bit of preachiness of like you need to have patience. We have a we have a thing. He was saying that, you know, he said that that kind of stuff um, back when, you know, in tw- two thousand nine and two thousand ten, um, when the Royals kept losing, right? So. He His first full season was 2007. They improved a little in 2008. Then they regressed badly in 2009 and 2010. And by the end of 2010, like – there wasn't really any difference in the on-field product in terms of winning, um, as there was, um, you know, in 2007. There's like n- very little difference in terms of their their the end record there. Um, and you know he was getting some flack there at the time. And I remember, you know, he and Trey Hillman, you know, they were were just, you know, I mean even a little bit of the beginning of Ned Yost were just like, we're we're acting like they knew everything. And um, eventually it worked out, right? But it took, two games where the Royals had like a 1% winning probability that they won for that run to look like it did. Um, And the Royals have won one American League Central in the past 16 years. They've they've (laughs) won it one time. Um, And so this is not really surprising to people who have been paying – attention to Dayton Moore for a long time he did do that at the sort of beginning of his tenure when he was getting the same kinds of criticism before he experiences success so I think that's interesting if you put um, you know if you said to me hey you need to decide or you need to predict what's going to happen I would imagine that Dayton Moore is maybe maybe Dayton Moore resigns okay Maybe Sherman tells him to resign um, and that there's significant coaching and significant stuff. But I think JJ Piccolo probably stays based off of what John Sherman has said publicly about him, um, which is, you know, pretty, pretty good. Um, so I think that's probably what I would go with. I don't, I don't know if we're, we're you know, staying around either. Um, but at the same time, I don't really know if John Sherman wants to completely rip down Top to bottom, of the front office. I think he should. I don't think he will.
1: Yeah, uh, Dayton Moore has written about criticism a, a couple of times, uh, you know, in his book. Uh, I, I I was just reading it the other day, uh, and he talks about, you know, he always talks about he's open to criticism, but then when he actually gets criticized, he does seem to seems to take it uh, kind of personally a little bit. Which, you know, critic- being criticized sucks. I, I've been criticized. I don't like it. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll say one thing. It. Criticism really only stings under two scenarios. One, it's people you respect when someone I respect or someone whose opinions I respect says, hey, you know, that, you know, that's kind of a dumb article. I take it to heart. You know, if it's some troll on the Internet, who cares? But if it's someone I, I actually know or respect, uh, that ma- that matters a little bit more. And number two, if I know if there's a little a hint, a hint of hint truth to it, like if there's criticism, I'm like, we're like, hey, that was kind of a dumb piece. Why'd you do that? And I know, yeah, you're probably right. Then it really hurts because I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have written that. So uh, I don't know if that's what. I don't know if Dayton Moore feels the same way, but it does seem like, yeah, I agree. It, it, this. This sounds a little familiar, uh, Jeremy. If you had to guess, if Dayton Moore is in charge of this organization uh, by by the, the end of this calendar year, what would you what would you put your money?
0: Uh, this is why I don't gamble. Um. <laughs> Which you can if you lived in Kansas. Yeah, well, I I can apparently in North Carolina too. I was thinking – my Twitter has just been flooded with gambling (laughs) tweets ever since it became legal in Kansas. And I'm just like, should I get it in gambling? No, no, should not do that. Um, But yeah, see, I was positive that Cal Eldred was gone at the end of last season. I could not imagine a world in which Cal Eldred would be employed by the Royals in 2022. And yet here we are. So – I. I think it makes all the sense in the world for Dayton Moore to move on, um, as Matthew said, and I think as as uh, as David Lesky said in his article, like it would not necessarily be fired, but you know uh, resign or step away to focus on some of this other stuff that he loves, like the the baseball uh, for kids program. I can't remember the name of it right now. See, see you in the majors. See you in the majors program that he works on. And
1: they and they have also have the Urban Youth Academy, which is a
0: yeah. Program. So uh, you know I could see you know if you frame it that way then it's like oh well he's passionate about those things it's not a firing it's just uh, you know time to move on Um, and everybody you know knows what happened but it's a little face saving gesture and I think that you know a World Series ring probably earns you a face saving gesture when you leave I think that's fine Um, but uh, I it's if if it were up to me uh, Dayton Moore would have been fired long ago so, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lean on the side of, yeah, he's probably gone. And I, I, I agree. I think JJ Piccolo is going to stick around because I think, uh, Sherman wants to give him a fair chance. I do feel like, uh, J, uh, JJ did not have as much control over the team earlier in the season as he's had later in the season. I kind of, it's just a sense I get from the moves they've made. Um, I could be completely off base, but that's, it's my gut feeling. Um, and, and so, I feel like he's going to want to give JJ a chance to, to, you know, put his own stamp on it, see if he's got what it takes, uh, before he moves on there. Um, I would imagine JJ would have a short leash, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, Dayton Moore is gone. And, uh, JJ Piccolo is still here. Uh, and I'll go ahead and throw in if, if, if Dayton Moore is gone, Mike Matheny and Cal Eldred are also gone.
1: Yeah, I, I, I kind of think like maybe last year was J.J. Picola maybe getting his feet wet a little bit and maybe he was quieter. And this summer is when he, okay, I, I think I got the hang of this a little bit. I'll I'll make some moves here. Um, I'm still kind of bearish on anything major happen. I think maybe Dayton Moore gets kicked to an emeritus position in the organization where he's kind of effectively separated from baseball decisions. And maybe J.J.'s given more autonomy, but they do clean out a lot of the other uh, uh, front office or coaching staff and how you do that with keeping and keep JJ Piccolo. I don't know, but I don't, I, I feel like JJ hasn't really gotten his chance and, but I don't, I don't know if they're necessarily going to kick Dayton Moore to the curb. Uh, so how you handle that? I don't know. I do, I do think Mike Matheny and Caledro are going to get fired. I don't, I don't see, I don't think they can stay. Uh, but um, I don't, I don't know. I'm, it's hard for me to see Dayton Moore actually getting, fired or even like gracefully being allowed to leave. Uh, but we'll have to see. Uh it, you know, if there's one guy that does kind of think that there will be changes this offseason, it's Jeffrey Flanagan, which is kind of surprising. Uh on Twitter, he went on one of his quote unquote rants, uh, which has already been deleted, so I actually can't quote it. But it, to the to the effect that he wrote that uh did more he did think there would be changes um and to appease the younger fans, which he called kind of fair weather fans that, Didn't uh, kind of didn't seem to appreciate how hard it was to win as a small market team. I like Flanny. I I grew up reading Flanny and the Kansas City Star all the time. He ended up having he ended up working for the Royals. So I'm sure he got to know Dayton Moore really well and uh, respects him a lot. And maybe they're friends. Um, But, (laughs) you know, and I look, it was hard to run a team and bring him to the World Series, a small market team. Uh, And and I think Dave Moore deserves credit for that, but that doesn't necessarily mean he deserves a job in 2022. Uh, Matthew, did you have a chance to see uh, Flanny's rant, and what did you think of it?
2: So Flanny's main point is that um, uh, – just just at a basic level, his main point was that um, small market teams – N- almost never win the World Series and he says that the Royals are the only small market team in the last 33 30 years uh, arguably since uh, the Twins won it in the early 90s um, to win the World Series um, you know, in 30 years the Twins did did win it in like 91 uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, 91 yeah, yeah, okay Hey, you're right, that's awesome um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, the Royals have been you know, the only team really to win the World Series in a long time um, and um, the only small market team in the world to win the World Series in a long time. Um, and some people would sort of push back and say St. Louis is also a small market team. I think I'd probably go with that. But anyway, that that was his main point um, in his previous rant. And he basically said that the, um, you know, it is so hard to win a World Series and that winning a World Series is the only thing that really matters. You know, like ultimately these other teams that people cite as, Um, You know, small market success stories aren't really success stories because they didn't win the World Series. And um, this time around, Rainey was he took it another step further. And he he, in in my opinion, he insulted fans along the way. He basically said that the people who wanted significant changes to the front office just didn't get it really. um, And that they were, quote, fair weather fans um that these fair weather fans wanted something or else and it was a bad take it was a really bad take because a lot of the fans who are most angry at the royals have been around for the long have been around for a long time you know um those the people who are criticizing the royals right now care about the royals the fair weather fans the ones around 2014 and 2015 they haven't been around for years (laughs) <laughs> Those are not the people who are criticizing the Royals right now. They're they Chiefs games. They're at Chiefs games. They don't <laughs> care. And so for Jeffrey Flanagan, who again I like as well, um, to to say that that was, I, I I didn't respond to him directly on on Twitter, but I, I had a lot of lot of things that that, that I thought that were um, direct, shall we say? I it was it was a bad take.
0: Uh. As Matthew kind of alluded to, his his point he makes his, his where the point that he stands on is that winning the World Series is all that matters, and it's really really hard for small market teams to do. And you know, by the math, he's right. Uh, but I gotta tell you, I think I would trade, and maybe I'm alone in this. I, I I'm willing to admit that that's a possibility. I think I would trade the 2015 World Series win. If you gave me eight more winning seasons, eight more playoff seasons, I'd rather see my team consistently show up in the playoffs, even if they get knocked out in the first round, than see my team win the world series once and then go back to losing a hundred games. That's not, I'm, I'm here for the long haul. I'm not one of those fairweather fans. I, I want to see my team continue to win. I would like to write about a winning team. I started writing for Royals Review in 2016. What a bad time to show up. I want to write about a good team. I want to be here for a good team. I want to see my team compete all year long, and I want to see them play uh, in some October baseball that matters. I want to see them play in some August baseball <laughs> that matters. Um and I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe everybody's like, no, give me that world series win. That's all that matters. Maybe yeah. I'm, I'm way off base on that, but that's where I'm at. And so that's where I take issue with him is yeah. Tampa Bay. Uh, I think they did. Didn't Tampa Bay win the world series just a couple of years ago or am I, they, they, won, lost the pennant. It. they won the pennant. They won the pennant. Yeah, okay. Won the so 20 Tampa 20. Bay, Tampa Bay, you know what? They haven't won a world series, but they keep going to the playoffs, especially lately. They keep getting deep into the playoffs. Uh, The twins had the the run for a long time. I think it was in the early aughts when they had all those guys, Joe Maurer, uh, Justin Morneau, you know, yes, is it heartbreaking to lose in the playoffs. Absolutely. But I'd rather have my heart broken than sit there in May knowing my team isn't going anywhere.
1: Well, Um, I'll push back on that a little bit. I I would not make that trade, but what, 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 what does it matter now? Like, the Royals aren't good. Why can't they be as good as the Twins or the Rays or the Guardians? Like, there's nothing. There's there's no. It's not a binary choice. You can be both. You can win the World Championship and feel a competitive team. I don't understand what what's part of his argument that because the Royals have won the World Series, they can't be good for seven years. Like, why? Uh, you know, they're not bad now because they won it in 2015. They're bad now because they made a lot of bad decisions. Um, and so. You know, there's just there, – the, especially in the division they play in, which I don't know if you looked at the standings lately. I know you don't want to as a Royals fan, but it's a bad division where a reasonably competent team could be in it. Uh, and so it's a huge missed opportunity by the Royals. And what's stopping them from being reasonably competitive? In my mind, nothing. And so I don't necessarily disagree with Flanagan that there's it's hard as a small market team. Of course, it's very hard. It's very hard to win a championship. And Dave Moore deserves credit for it. But that was seven years ago, and I I brought this up before. But it's, it's like the Chiefs with Jack Stedman for those of you that are really old Chiefs fans. Jack Stedman helped, he was the architect of a Super Bowl team in 1969. By, 19, by the 1980s, the team was a mess. I mean, he was just wasn't a good, he wasn't good at running a football team anymore. And it happens, you know. Albert Poles goes from being a Hall of Fame level all star player to you know, the worst player on your bench. Now he's having a resurgent, but you know, the game passes you by eventually. And it's, you know, there's no reason why I can't, you know, executives can't have the same kind of decline. So that's my point. I don't, you know, Dayton Moore had his day, but perhaps that day has come and gone. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Nick Prado and then wrap things up. Well, uh, Nick Prado was supposed to be part of this next wave of young players are going to lead the Royals back to contention. But uh, this week he was demoted back to AAA uh, to make way for Edward Oliveras, who came off the injured list. Prado was hitting just 184 with seven home runs in 49 games, but he was striking out 36% of the time. He was particularly slumping in the month of September, hitting 103. Uh, but still, he's, he's a solid defender at first base, had a, had a really good walk rate. Matthew, uh, did you uh, what, what was your kind of reaction to the demotion of Nick Prado?
2: So um, most people, I think, uh, probably view it negatively that Nick Prado should be up here. Um, I am... I think it's defensible to send Nick Prado down. Reason being, he's striking out more than 36% of the time. He's hitting 184. Now he is walking. He is hitting for power. Um, but the fact of the matter is is that he's not going to you know, make it as a first baseman unless he cuts that strikeout rate and or increases his walk rate and uh, his batting average. So that, that's just how it is. He's not going to succeed. So you can say, oh, he he, it's a it's a better you know, it, it's better for him to do it up at the big league level. I get that. You can say, oh, it's better for him to work on the on his swing in Triple You know, I can understand that too, away from the pressure. You know, that's fine. So I think it was totally defensible. But of course, the was had to screw it up because Mike Matheny said, he, Mike Matheny didn't come out and say we want Nick Prada to fix his swing. He's striking out too much. Um, and we want him to fix a swing um, so that he can be, um, you know, a contributor on this team next year. That would have been totally defensible, right? No one would say anything bad about that. Now, they might disagree with it, but that's a totally defensible um, thing for them to say. But what Mike Matheny said is they wanted to get him regular at-bats, which was dumb because he was already getting regular at-bats. Um, and... Maybe that was the signal that, oh, we would rather have, you know, Michael A. Taylor and Hunter Dozier play than, um, than Nick Prado, uh, which is, is a really bad, um, you know, if, if that was the reasoning, that's terrible reasoning. So, again, sending him down for the right reasons, totally fine. I don't know if the Royals are doing that for the right reasons, and they are doing it for the right reasons. They might just be lying about it and just you know spewing nonsense about it, which is just bad. So overall, I'm not happy about it, but not specifically because I think that it would be bad for him to be in the minor leagues. Like I said, striking out a lot. not hitting a lot. So you know, that makes sense, everything around it, do some stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah Mike, with you, you said he. He wanted he want him to get more regular at bats as if something that's not, like, under his control as a manager, which, I don't know, maybe it isn't. Maybe the spreadsheet, you know, rules all. I don't know. Uh, Jeremy, what was your reaction to the Nick Prado demotion? Do you think, you know, do, do you think he's going to learn a lot in these last 10 days before the uh, Omaha season ends? Um,
0: My my reaction is very, very similar to Matt's. I – with a touch of, it seems kind of pointless to send him down to the minor leagues for a whole week and a half. I mean, like, what is he going to get out of a week and a half? Uh, If he needs a mental reset, it's going to have to wait till the off season at this point. Um, You know, if he needs a swing reset, it's going to have to wait till the off season. There's just not enough time to really do anything in the minor leagues. Um, It's, it's, it's fine to send him down. Um, The re and as Matthew kind of pointed out there, the reasoning is either bad or it's just it's a lie and and that's that's not good that's not what i need from my from my manager from the mouth of my team i don't need to be lied to and i don't need dumb reasons i need you to be intelligent and i need you to treat me as if i'm intelligent and the royals are clearly not doing that whichever way it goes it's bad and and yeah i i Really have a problem with the reasoning, uh, regardless of whether it's it's you know, of a, a happy a friendly lie or uh, you know uh, you know just dumb.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I I'm not like outraged, and I think you know Lasky was kind of defending it too, uh, but I, like, you know why? Like just play him out playing the rest of the year in the major league. Well, if you, if he's gonna fix his swing, he probably needs to do it against major leaguers, and you know I get you need to activate Oliveras. I want to see what he can do too, but I mean, <laughs> it's sitting right there. Ryan Ahern, which I I I hate that we keep dogging on him. It's not he's not a bad guy. But he's taking up a roster spot that don't need to be there. Uh and you know, let Prado play first base every day for the last 10 days. At the very least, if you don't feel like he's if you feel like he's drowning, just just have him sit the bench, rest his head, you know, or reset. Uh, have him be, you know, it, it, isn't it better that he's around the big league staff if you trust in them, if you trust in Alex Zuma and what he's doing, like have major league resources at your disposal? Um, so I don't know, maybe, they, maybe they're maybe they about to clean house and they, they don't want Nick Prada to be around for all that. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's a little head scratching to me, but, you know, it's it's not, it's a little on the list of things to be outraged about, I guess, this year. So we'll see how it plays out, hopefully it comes back better, bigger and better. And, and maybe these last two weeks uh, really really turn his career around. Uh, let's uh, let's wrap things up with our royal review reviews. Jeremy, why don't you kick it off uh, kick it off for this uh, this week?
0: All right. So I am going to recommend an anime I have been watching lately called My Dress Up Darling, uh, which is kind of a slice of life anime um, about uh, two high schoolers, a high school boy who is obsessed. With making Hina dolls, uh, which are a traditional Japanese kind of doll uh, that uh, are handmade, hand painted. The wigs are hand everything's hand done. Um, and his grandpa runs a, runs a Hina doll shop and he's been obsessed with Hina dolls ever since he was little, um, and wants to grow up to, you know, kind of take over the shop from his grandfather. Um, and then he meets this super popular girl at high school. He doesn't have any friends of course, because he's obsessed with dolls and, uh, he meets this super popular girl at high school kind of accidentally. Um, and it turns out she is really into cosplay, but she can't sew. Um, and obviously he has, he can, so it's, it's his one skill that he's really honed. Um, he's, he's not great at all the other stuff when it comes to the Hina dolls, but he can make the Heena doll clothes. Um, so he, uh, they kind of. She kind of brings him out of his shell, gives him a friend. Um, and he, I'm kind of halfway through the series now, and he's starting to make some other friends. Um, and he, you know, provides his sewing services for her and uh, and makes some cool cosplay outfits for her, and then just kind of watching them both find joy in their passions and enjoy seeing each other find joy in their passions is really just kind of sweet. Um, And it's just kind of a little anime that uh, I'm enjoying watching and, and not having to stress out about anything with. We definitely need more joy among the Royals fan base. That's for sure. Matthew, what do you have for us this week?
2: I watched the first episode of uh, The Lord of the Rings, The Ring of Power, which follows The uh, Lord of the Rings' long tradition of using the word the too many times in the title. Um, So, uh, you know, I had had my doubts about the show um, because I just wasn't sure if there was a story for it to tell um, that would be sort of make all of the money that went into it worthwhile um you know because the lord of the rings is already such a great story and they pulled a lot of this stuff from the appendices of of the books um i would say i'm like a medium grade tolkien nerd like i've read the books i've read the uh the hobbit i've seen the movies more times than i can count um i am aware of the silmarillion i'm aware of some of the you know the the broader lore um of, of The Lord of the Rings, although I've not read The Silmarillion. I've, I've tried. I tried once. It was, it was very dry. Um, but, I you know, I ha- kind of had my doubts. Um, after this episode, you know, it might not end up really, really good. I have only seen the first episode. But I was super impressed with it. Um, and, uh, you know, it looks great. It sounds great. The score is very good. Um and it did a really good job of setting up those individual character storylines and making you care about all the characters. Um so I thought, you know, for you know, pilot, it was basically pilot, um, it did a really, really good job. Um, I was I was really happy with it, and well, I'm, I'm interested in seeing where it goes.
1: Uh Sean and I, I think, talked about it a little bit a couple weeks ago when you were gone. Uh because I've been watching it too. I'm not and I'm not really a big Lord of the Rings guy, although I have Sean mocked me for saying that and then i said i read the books and seen some of the movies but uh yeah it the first episode looks really great and then i feel like there are some scenes in the next couple episodes where i'm like i, I don't know i'm comparing it too much again to game, to game of thrones and Dr- house of dragon which um i think is more on set on, on set uh or on location and there are definitely a lot of scenes in uh, I'm trying to keep the names right now lord of the rings what's the new, what's the new one called the ring uh, of power ring of power that are definitely you can tell our sound stages which they're fantasy worlds i guess uh so it i'm like they spend so, there's so much made about how much they spent on this that you're just expecting every set to be like amazing and a lot of them are but there's mm-hmm. some i don't know there's some that just kind of irk me a little bit with with how they look i don't know but But the story has actually has gotten – I find the movies to be, frankly, a little boring, and this has captured me, I think, a little more. So So that's – say it again one more time. The ring? The Lord of the Rings,
2: the ring of power, the – Yeah, that's a lot of those. Uh,
1: So my Royals review review this week uh, is I like when uh, non-mainstream sports kind of grab headlines. And so there is a scandal rocking the chess world. Uh, the number one player in the world, Magnus Carlsen, was upset at a tournament in St. Louis by the lowest-ranked grandmaster, who happens to be a 19-year-old Twitch star named Hans Moke Neiman. Uh, Carlsen withdrew from the tournament in a huff, which led to rumors and accusations that Neiman must have cheated to upset to pull such an upset off. Uh, this is fueled by the fact that Neiman has, has admitted to cheating in online games when he was younger, but he says he's clean now. Uh, and he's, he insists that he has done nothing wrong. He's even offered to play in the nude, which, is, which has uh, sparked some jokey rumor that perhaps he is using anal beads <laughs> in a way, as a way of, like, signaling plays, much like, I guess, how, how, how the Astros used uh, a buzzer to know what play was coming, know what pitch was coming. Uh, so, <laughs> I don't know, it's just kind of interesting soap opera stuff to me. But it's even more interesting because my son three weeks ago just randomly got the chessboard out to play w- with me. And I beat him pretty bad. And he decided he was going to learn how to play chess. And he just started looking up all these YouTube videos about chess. And now he is routinely kicking my butt in, like, a couple moves. And he knows all these terms and is, like, suddenly into the world of chess. And then this story happened to pop up. So uh, Scandal in the Chess World. Uh, there's an article at Slate right now called Chess uh, Scandal. Uh, it's about the chess the scandal. Uh, but uh, you can read all about it there and all the salacious details. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Thanks to Matthew and Jeremy for being on. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. And we'll talk to you next time. Right. Bye.